welcome to the Seeds Church Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our Apple and Spotify podcasts. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message from our Sunday service. G'day. The Bible reading we got today is from John 4, um, verse 43 to 54. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They'd all seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at Passover festival, but they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. That man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the, on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, that fever left him. Then the father realized that, his, that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And so, so he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Amen. Thanks, Josh. And uh, can I add to Sam's welcome to everyone here? It's great to have um, a whole host of people both joining us physically in the room, but also joining us online. So uh, it's, I want to just um, say it's great to be able to watch that video. Um, five months may not seem very long. Feels like quite a long time for me. But, <laughs> but five months has been a, a great start to what the Lord's been doing in this place. And uh, you may not have been able to see the text because the, the light was a little bit tricky but right at the beginning at the end of that video there was a little thing that said and this is just the beginning do you believe that it's just the beginning God's doing something special let's have a word of prayer heavenly father I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable in your sight that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us and lead us into truth and understanding. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as you would have been able to pick up by the, um, the stuff on the screen, we're going through this series on the seven signs of John. So last week, our senior pastor, Jonathan Davies, was here. I, I, he and I did a swap. I went up to Aberfoyle Park and he came down here for the first time. And he preached the first sign which was, um, actually, what was that first sign? Just let me just... Uh... Water in the wine, thank you. Um, and look, signs are pretty important, and I've got to confess that I have a bit of a soft spot for signs. And some of you know this, but, but prior to me becoming a pastor, I spent many years working as a transport engineer. And so um, I like signs. I want to just give you a few examples of some signs, just to refresh your memory. So... The first one coming up here is um, 
Now, this, if you're travelling in the outback and you're heading north on the Stuart Highway, you see the sign here, and these are called um, direction signs. They're always um, white writing on green background, just in case you're wondering that. Whenever you see that, you know that that's, you've got a certain distance to go. And let me tell you, if you're travelling on the Stuart Highway, it's a long way between towns. And so there you've got you know, Glendambo, a certain number of kilometres, and then Coober even further, and off it goes to Alice Springs. So that's a good direction sign. You need to have direction signs. Next one. Dare I say it, warning signs. Always black on yellow, always triangular. I don't want to sound like I'm doing a lecture here on traffic signs, but <laughs> I'm getting a bit excited about it. But that's a warning sign. Whenever you see those, you've got to be a bit careful about what you're doing. In that case, slightly slippery road. Next one, thanks, Steve. And if you're, um, once again, a few more warnings. I'm, I've got a bit of an outback theme going here, so if you're travelling in the outback, you may see, dare I say it, feral camels, wombats, or even the occasional kangaroo. But then you come to a very important type of sign. If you see one of those, folks, you need to do something about it. This is not just one where you take idle curiosity, oh yeah, there's a sign up here. But whenever you see one of those, be careful. Because uh, that is basically a very strong sign saying, you're heading in the wrong direction, wrong way, go back. That's the repentance sign. That's the repentance sign. Wrong way, go back. I love signs, as you can tell. And uh, in the Old Testament, um, there's some few examples of signs. You may remember that a character called Moses was called by the Lord to um, lead his people out of the tyranny of the Egyptians and set them free. And he had to uh, convince the, um, the people that he was the right person for the job. He also had to convince the king of Egypt called Pharaoh that, he was gonna, uh, that God was speaking to him and was calling him to let the people go. And so... Moses, quite rightly, was a little bit concerned about his credentials. Would he be able to convince people that he was the right person? And so Moses asked the Lord for, for a sign. And so the Lord said, well, you've got the staff in your hand. Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it turned into a snake. And he picked it up and it turned back into a staff again. So that was the first sign he had. And then Moses thought, well, you know, perhaps I need something else. And so the Lord said, well, put your hand in your cloak. This is a classic one, this one. And so he put his hand in his cloak like this and he brought it out and it was all white and leprous. Put his hand back in his cloak, brought it out again, perfectly okay. That's a good, good trick, that one. And so Moses had these signs and this was he could demonstrate to the people of, of God that he actually was called by God to lead the people out of Egypt. So those signs were, if you like, authenticating Moses. They were giving him some credibility that he was the right person. They were pointing to the, the, the reason why Moses was the leader. Because signs in themselves aren't the thing. It's what the signs point to. So those, if you're travelling up the Stuart Highway and you saw that, those, those direction signs, it's not as if you're going to stop and say, oh, well, I've seen the sign, nothing more to see here, I'll go back. No, no, the sign is telling you that there's something ahead. There's something important. You need to read the sign, but the sign itself is not the thing. It's what the sign, the message of the sign is the important thing. It's what the sign is saying, what it's pointing to. And in the New Testament, John spends a fair bit of time going through seven signs. And we've, we've done one. We're leading up to the second one. But there's a purpose behind the signs. And let me bring you to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. 
And near the end of, of, of Jesus' ministry on earth, John records this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these signs are written that you may believe... So this is the purpose of the signs, right? These signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Just leave that slide up, thanks. So the reason for the signs and the reason why John spends all his time on these seven signs is that they're actually pointing to Jesus. But not just about Jesus. The signs are written that we may believe. Not just have knowledge about certain things that Jesus did, but that the impact of the signs would be such that we actually may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. So that's the purpose of the signs. And so the signs build one upon another. So the first sign starts at a wedding. The seventh sign is actually at a funeral. And we're looking at sign number two today, the healing of the official son. So that's the context for the signs. I love a good traffic sign, I have to say. I'm almost tempted to bring the traffic signs back up, but I won't because we've got to keep on moving forward. But in John chapter 4 that Josh read to us, we hear this account of Jesus healing an official son. And the interesting thing is that Jesus' first sign, which Jonathan Davies preached on last week, was the turning of the water into wine in a place called Cana in Galilee. Jesus had then gone into Jerusalem, had come back through Samaria, and he had an encounter with a woman at a well. And some of you know the story where Jesus had this incredible insight into the woman's life. And he stayed for a while with the Samaritans. And then he came back into Galilee and he came back to Cana. So he was back at the place where the first sign had been performed. And this particular official, who was obviously serving in Herod's court, so this wasn't a bloke who was a Roman, this was a Jewish man, he had a fairly high level of responsibility, he was serving in the, in the court of King, of King Herod, and he'd heard that Jesus was back in town. And obviously the word had got out that this, this man was performing miracles, that things were going on. The, you can imagine that, that turning of the water into wine, that wasn't the sort of story that would have just gone through the keeper. That wasn't the sort of thing that, oh yeah, that's something that happened a few weeks ago. No, no, that was such an incredible thing, this, this miraculous transformation of water into wine, that the word would have got out that there was a miracle worker in the town. And so he, Jesus comes back into Canaan. But of course, the, the, this bloke, this official, had a very significant reason why he wanted to have an encounter with Jesus was because... His son, the official's son, was desperately sick. So we read in, um, in verse, in verse uh, 46, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now Capernaum, bear in mind, they're in Cana here. Capernaum is about 40 kilometres away. Okay, give a bit of geography here. 
So he, he's from Capernaum, but he's in, he's, he's, he's in Cana because Jesus is there. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from, from Judea, he went to him and begged him. He begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So this man, he was in desperate straits because his son was so sick that he was you know, on the verge of dying. And so he, he encounters Jesus. Now, I've got to say, the first reaction of Jesus to this man was a little bit off-putting, dare I say. Put yourself in the place. A lot of people here are parents. If your child is desperately sick, then you are, you are going to do anything, virtually, to try and have your son or daughter restored to health. So the man begs Jesus to come to him, to the son, to heal him. And Jesus says in verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now you may think, well, boy, that seems like a fairly sort of strong response when, <laughs> when, when the man who is so desperate has come to Jesus to ask him to heal his son. And Jesus comes back with this response. What's going on there? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Well, we need to understand that Jesus had, has just come from Samaria. And when he was in Samaria, there was a significant response to his message. And he, he spent some time there, after this encounter with the woman at the well, he spent some time there, and it, it says in John chapter 4, verse 41, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. So Jesus wasn't doing a whole lot of signs and wonders in Samaria, but because of his words, because of his teaching, many people came to believe in him. So when he turns up in Galilee, the thing about the Galileans was they liked to see the action. They liked to see the bells and whistles. They wanted to see the miracle worker. They wanted to see the spectacular. And so Jesus sort of cuts right across that and says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. But undeterred, undeterred, the royal official said, Sir, come down, in other words, come to Capernaum before my son dies, because he was so concerned for the welfare of his son. And then Jesus says, Go, he, Jesus replied, your son will live. So the man took Jesus at his word, and he left. And he found out afterwards that when he got back um, back home, his servants came out and met him with the news that his son had recovered. And when they did a bit of cross-collaboration um, here, they worked out that the exact time when Jesus said, go, your son is healed, was the exact time that the son recovered. This is the first case of a remote healing. Because Jesus was 40 kilometres away. He didn't touch the boy. He didn't go into the boy's house. He didn't um, make clay out of mud you know, and put it on his eyes like he'd done with other miracles. He actually just said the word, go to the father, to the boy's father, your son will live. The first case of remote healing in the New Testament. Now, as amazing as that was, that the son was, um, was healed, verse 53 Thanks, Steve. Then the father realised that this was the exact time which Jesus said to him, your son will live. And now this is the point. 
What was the outcome of this sign? So he and his whole household believed. Do you see that, folks? They could have just marvelled at this miracle worker who, from a 40 kilometre away point of view, had, had suddenly spoken the word and this boy had recovered from death. But no, the impact of the sign, the impact was that the, he, as in the, the official, and his whole household believed. Because that's the purpose of the signs, is that we might believe. And by believing, we'll have life in his name. It's interesting that when you go back to the, the uh, turning of the water into wine, back, back, which happened you know, in the same town, Cana, it says here in John chapter 2, that as a result of that, that miracle of turning the water into wine, In John chapter 2, verse 11, we read this. What Jesus did here in the Cana of Galilee was first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So when Jesus did the first sign, turning the water into wine, the disciples believed. When the sin sign happened, the whole household, the whole household of the royal family believed in Jesus. Because that's the purpose of the signs. Not that we would be fixed on the actual sign itself. What was the message of the sign? What was the sign pointing to? The sign was pointing to Jesus. So in the first sign, we see the demonstration that Jesus was the transformer. He transformed water into wine. And if you missed that message from last week, you'll be able to catch up with it on our, on our Spotify site. We're a few weeks behind, but we'll get that rectified. And... Um, You'll see what Jonathan was talking about, that Jesus transformed the water into wine. He demonstrated his transforming power. But here, in the second sign, Jesus demonstrates that he is the life giver. That this son who was desperately sick, who was about to die, was healed by the one word from Jesus and he was given life. And as a result of being given life, the whole household believed. So Jesus, the first sign is Jesus is the transformer. The second sign is that Jesus is the giver of life. And it's a really strong theme in the book of gospel, in, the, in, in John's gospel. You know, I love, um, some people would be aware of that, and some of the folks who are slightly younger here today know that uh, there's a very significant um, ministry that happens on Friday nights up at Aberfoyle Park called Excess Youth. And there's a lot of people who have... Um, in fact, Sam, just stand up there and demonstrate the, the T-shirt. The, uh, there it is there, Excess Youth, just happens to be wearing it. This wasn't a setup, a spontaneous effort by Sam Bates, full marks. And uh, the, the, the motto or the theme or the driver for um, Excess is found in John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, I could ask Sam to recite it. He probably knows it word by word, but to put him out of his... I won't put too much pressure on him. Um, this, is the, this is the verse from John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is the life giver. That's the message of the second sign. Jesus gives life and not just sort of life as in existence, not just life that takes you from Monday to Friday and then you have a bit of a break for a weekend and sort of get through to try and get through to Monday. But no, the Bible says we're going to have life and have it to the full. 
the old King James Version used to say abundant life. Abundant life. Overflowing life. Life that, that you're meant to have. You know, I can remember some years ago I was working in a transport department and I was in the lift. And this young bloke got in the lift. He had only been working for us for about a few months. And I, I was a director at the time. And, uh, but times have changed. And so when he saw me, he said, G'day, Mark. You know, it wasn't Mr. Orford, which I didn't expect him to say. But he said, he said and this was Tuesday. And he said, G'day, Mark. How was your weekend? You know, it's only Tuesday. You know. I said, it was OK. He said, what have you got planned? What have you got planned for next weekend? I said, well, look, I'm just trying to get through the week. You know, it's, it's Tuesday. And then he started to list out all these activities and things he got planned for the next weekend. Because a lot of Australians live from weekend to weekend. And, 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 and we sort of have this, we put up with Monday to Friday and it's all focused on the weekend. And then when it's a long weekend, well, that's another level. That's, are you with me, folks? The land of the long weekend, someone described Australia. Because we have this idea that we've got to build up these incredible experiences and try and top what we did last weekend. The problem with that sort of life is that you've got to keep on improving on your weekends. <laughs> you've got to try and find something more interesting. You know, I mean, some people went up to the Flinders Ranges um, during the week. And uh, I won't go into detail about our worship coordinator, but I saw on Strava that Callum had climbed up um, St Mary's Peak with a few, many people go with you? Yeah. So, but next weekend, well, how's he going to top that? Uh, can, I, can I just say, how are you going to top that? And that's the problem about living from weekend to weekend, that, that <laughs> we're going to try and improve on what we've done. And so you end up chasing this thing which you can never really catch and you become actually enslaved. And dare I say it, the concept of living from weekend to weekend actually at the end of the day is an idol. Whoa, that's a downer mark. But it is because it enslaves us because we're trying to do better and better every weekend. But Jesus cuts right across that and Jesus says, I have come, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Not just existence, not trying to top the, the adrenaline experience of last weekend, but life to the full, life lived in relationship with, with Jesus. That's what Christianity is about. That's what life is meant to be, living in relationship with God, because that's how we're created. So Jesus has come to give us life, life to the full. And there's one more scripture I want to just read in John chapter 14, another well-known verse, John chapter 14, verse 6. When, um, when Thomas was questioning Jesus about where he was going and what was going to happen, and Jesus responded to, uh, to the disciples and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that was the theme, I think, of the excess Easter camp this year. But you notice that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, it, and the context is that people were trying to understand how Jesus was connecting them to the Father. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the way to the Father. 
Jesus restores us back to our Heavenly Father. Jesus is, gives us a truth about the Father. And Jesus also gives us the life of the Father. So true life, true meaning, true purpose is only found in a relationship with Jesus. That's the message of the gospel. It's not an exclusive message. People think, oh, that seems a bit restrictive, Mark. You know, you're only saying that the only way to get to God is through Jesus. Well, that's correct, but, but it's actually inclusive because Jesus is saying there actually is a way to be restored back to the Father. There is a way to know fullness of life. There is a way to know the truth, and it's through Jesus. I mean, that's actually a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a life-transforming thing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Jesus has come to show us the Father and when we put our faith in Christ, when we believe in him, we have life in his name. So let me ask the question today, where are you trying to find your your meaning and purpose in life? Where are you trying to find, if you like, life itself? Where are you searching? Well, Jesus says, I'm the life giver. I healed the official son remotely, 40 kilometres away, by one word. And by one word, Jesus can transform your life. By one word, Jesus can change us. By one word, he can give us complete fullness and understanding and meaning of life. How good is that? The official was desperate. His son was sick on the verge of death and he begged Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus said, go, your son is healed. When we come to Jesus... He never rejects us. He never rejects us. He touches our life. Can I encourage you today, for those who are watching online, for those who are in the chapel right now, don't go searching elsewhere. Come to Jesus. He's the giver of life. And when we believe in him, we have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that all of us, all of us might look to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, might look to you, Jesus, for life, may look to you, Jesus, for meaning and purpose. Lord, many of us have been distracted. Many of us have been trying to find other, other experiences. But Lord, it's only you who has the words of eternal life. You are the way, the truth and the life. Dear Lord, may that touch all of our hearts. May we look to you afresh because you are the life giver. Touch our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. We hope you join in with us next week. For more information, you can visit our website at seedschurch.org.